I want to thank you for gathering with us this evening. I hope you had a Merry Christmas, great time with family, uh, and I hope that tomorrow as we uh, ring in the new year uh, that it will be a time of celebration and enjoyment to your lives. But as we settle in, go ahead and open your Bibles. We are back in the book of Hebrews. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 7 today. Uh, Since we finished up our Advent series, we're going to jump back into this book for one week. And then next week, what I'm going to do kind of to kick off 2023 is I'm going to preach a little one-off sermon on our vision and values. And so you're going to hear uh, the, the values today during the sermon time. But I'm going to really just kind of dive into, hey, this is what we're about at as a church. This is what we are after. And so, uh, man, I'm excited for that time next week. And then uh, from then until the middle of the summer, we will be in Hebrews. And so uh, since it's been about eight weeks since we've been in this book, I want to recap really quickly just to catch us up. Uh, if you remember, Hebrews hasn't been the easiest book to preach through. It is a weighty, deep book with a lot of Old Testament in it. And so uh, I just want to recap really uh, the two parts that we've looked at uh, just to give us some perspective as we dive in. Because, uh, man, I believe that uh, what's happened in Hebrews is it's been a, a time of building. And so in part one, what we looked at is, is kind of our theme is Jesus is greater, right? And so each and every week as we looked at Christ's supremacy, we saw that he is greater than all who came before and all who will come after. Really what I would argue, and I believe all of Scripture argues this, is that everything is pointing and directing us to Jesus but also everything is revealing to us that Jesus is better, right? One of the jokes we say all the time here is, what's the answer to the question? The answer to the question is always Jesus. And so we see and we have seen over and over again that Jesus is great because Jesus is the one who brings a rest that no one else could bring. We're going to see that theme again today as we look uh, at Hebrews 7. But then we dove into part 2, which is what we're in right now, which is confidence in Christ. So how does the greatness of Jesus lead us to have confidence in Jesus? And, and so what we've seen is that Jesus is our great high priest that not only gives us life, but Jesus is the one who produces in us mature faith as we walk in obedience to His Word. What we're going to see in part three is we're about to start in a couple of weeks uh, the next kind of theme, which is uh, solely about Jesus as our great high priest. Uh, But where we left off eight weeks ago is we were working through chapter seven regarding Jesus being a priest in the order of Melchizedek, that really weird name uh, that we see in the scriptures Uh, that we don't know a lot about the guy, right? Like you see him a little bit in Genesis, and then we see him here in Hebrews. Uh, But what we know about Melchizedek is that he was both a king and a priest uh, in uh, Salem, and what we believe Salem to be was Jerusalem. But he was a king, priest, in Salem uh, that we know very little about. But what the writer of Hebrews argues is that Jesus is in the line or in the order of Melchizedek. And what we saw in the last week that we spent in the text in Hebrews was that Jeremy laid out that that since perfection or completeness, as it pertains to being made right before God, what we saw is that it couldn't be attained through the priesthood. 
The, 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 the Levites, uh, in, in the midst of the sacrificial system, man, there was a problem because they had to not only sacrifice for others, they first had to sacrifice for themselves. But what we know to be true about Jesus is that He came as our great high priest who brings complete and total access to God by way of His perfect life, His sacrificial death, and His victorious resurrection. And so in light of this, what we did in verses 11 through 19 is we used the text to answer the question, uh, why does it matter that Jesus came anyway? And we saw two reasons why. First, we saw that it was necessary that Jesus came because He fulfilled with the giving of Himself what the sacrificial system could not. He came as a sacrifice once for all. The sacrificial system is needed no longer. You see, the one who had never broken the law was broken for us, therefore perfecting the law, and in doing so, brought about a new priesthood. He is the ultimate sacrificial lamb. Therefore, we see his... Oh, goodness. It's my daughter. Therefore, he is the king... And priests that we needed that no other priest could be. And then the second way we answered this question, which really the product of this necessity, is that Jesus gives us hope through His resurrection to draw near to God. The, the, the reason we know this, or the way that we know this, is because this came about by way of His indestructible life. You see, because while Jesus died, He did not stay dead which in turn gives us hope, the hope that you see in verse 19. And that hope, is it really leads us in two directions. First, we draw near to God. You see, the thing that we've always been after since the fall, how could we be made right before God that we now have that? We have that access through Jesus. The penalty is gone. And yet we are still in process. While the penalty is gone, we still struggle with sin, but we are sustained. And we're going to go there today and look at like, how does Jesus sustain us? But the second direction this leads us to is that this should, this hope should direct others or direct us to direct others to the hope of Christ. I love what Jeff Anderselt says. I don't know if he came up with it, but he says, what God has done in you, he wants to do through you. You see, the outworking of salvation, one of the outworkings, is proclamation. You see, salvation should produce in us proclamation because we should be excited about what's happened in our lives and we should want to share that with others, right? I mean, we all just celebrated Christmas and I don't know about you, but I didn't have to... Well, I was actually kind of nervous uh, about celebrating Christmas because last year my youngest son, James, did not have a great one. He didn't enjoy any of his presents. And he made sure to let us know that, not in like a bratty way, but in like a, hey, I'm not mad at you, I'm just disappointed in you way, right? And so this year, like, we're like fingers crossed, like, I'm trying to kind of like steer him, like, hey, like, this would be good, you know? And and we get there, man, we like, we crushed it. Across the board, whether it was us or Santa Claus or family, like, it, it went really, really well. And he was very excited, so much so that if you come to our house... He's going to drag everything he got out and he's going to let you know, hey, look at this. Let me show you this. You want to see my Hot Wheels track? Oh, you want to see my second Hot Wheels track? What about my third Hot Wheels track? Like, let's go. And and he was ready because guess what? Man, he had received such good gifts that he wanted to proclaim and talk about them. 
I mean, church, like we have such uh, we have such better news. We have received such a better gift. Man, why should we? Why would we not then proclaim that to others? You see, good news leads to excitement that leads to proclamation. What this does is it leads us to our time today where we're going to see the writer. He's going to give us two more reasons as to why Jesus is a superior priest. And so let's begin by reading Hebrews 7, verses 20 through 22. It says this, And it was not without an oath. For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Verse 22, this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. Okay, so the first thing that we see regarding Jesus as a superior high priest is that while every other priest was placed there by way of God's instruction, in that every priest came through the tribe of Levi, where where the priest would ascend to this position by bloodline, really what we know is Later, especially when Jesus came around, they were actually buying themselves into that position. So everything was broken. But that's what would happen. And so to see uh, this take place, when it would happen, they wouldn't make oaths or God didn't make an oath to them. Rather, it was just a ceremony that would take place. It was like the passing of the guard. And so they would have a ceremony and then the priest would begin their role. You see, it's not so with Jesus. You see, with Jesus, and we've already seen this in Hebrews, He was installed not by the ceremonial ascension, for He was not a Levite, but was from the line of Judah, therefore He could be a king. But He was installed by an oath, and this oath is found in Psalm 110. A psalm, I don't know as we read it, if you've noticed, man, this psalm comes up over and over and over again in Hebrews. Psalm 110 verse 1 and Psalm 110 verse 4 each happen six times in the book of Hebrews. But in Psalm 110, this statement is made that God says you are a priest forever. Hundreds of years before Jesus would ever arrive. And in it we see that God made an oath that proclaimed that Jesus would be a different kind of priest that would not reign for a time but for all time. You see, this type of oath by God, it's, we, we also see it back in Hebrews chapter 6. It's the only other instance that we really see it is when God makes His oath to Abraham and says, no, I'm not just telling you that you're going to be the father of many nations. I'm also going to make an oath to you. I'm taking my promise, my word, and I'm going to put something on top of that. The reason, again, as we've already stated, is not because God needed to shore up His promises, because God cannot lie. If He could, then He wouldn't be God. No, the reason God does this is because of the fallen nature of humanity, which is ever prone to lie, deceive, and not hold up our end. And so what God does is God made a promise, and then He makes an oath to show double assurance to us who struggle to trust anything to be truly true. Like, I don't... I, I, I think I can... I, I think I can share this honestly. It's like we, as a people, doubt almost everything, do we not? Like even God at times. Like especially the world around us. And yet even in the midst of that, praise God for His patience and faithfulness to us. 
to say, no, while, while you doubt this, while you lie and deceive and, and, and trick and manipulate, I do not. And I'm going to show you, I'm going to give you double assurance. He didn't have to, but he did. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but my first response to most things nowadays is twofold. First, it's the doubt, the information, the action, the motivation, or the promise made. And then it's to research, to try and poke holes in the information, the action, the motivation, or the promise made. Because I don't 100% trust it. Like I've been burned before. Like a doctor told me, hey, you won't have any more children. (laughs) Hey, Elliot. (laughs) Elliot comes and the doctor tells us, hey, y'all are good now. Hey, I don't know. I mean, you know, we, we like hope, you know, maybe. Like it happens to our kids as well. Like I, I like we tell our kids things and they immediately doubt us. They're like, no, y'all don't know anything, mom. You don't know anything, dad. Like, like they look at us because, and, and they doubt because they can't wrap their minds around the truth that Haley and I could say anything that could be right or true. Now, now some of that's on me because I jack with them all the time. It's my job. But like, I, sometimes I'm really serious. Like, no, this is it. And they're like, no, my cousin told me differently. I'm like, yeah, but your cousin's seven and knows nothing. He's trying to cut grass outside with scissors. You know, like... Like, like, but they go that way. Because we, but we do the same thing. But, but I believe that, man, if we're really to reflect on it, at times our problems is, our, our problem is worse. Like we doubt, and yet we also believe a lot of stuff. We believe many lies because at times we trust more in media, be it news or social. We trust in the wisdom of others, which I, again I think is, uh, we're very selective in who we trust and who we believe. But we trust in those things more than we do the Word of God. Likely because we're not in the Word and weighing supposed truth against the Word. And so God makes both a promise and an oath as a way to assure <coughs> that He will do what He said He will do. William Barclay says it best regarding the assurance that we have in God's promises when he states this. He says, whatever God confirms by an oath becomes so utterly unchangeable that it is woven into the very fiber of the universe and must remain forever. The text says, for the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, which is good news. Because it, 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 we can't ask the question, how long? No, it's forever, right? He, he will not change His mind. And then in light of this, we get verse 22, which says that because God's oath is an assurance that will not be broken, it says Jesus is the guarantor of a better covenant. Now, now the focus of the text here, the focus of verse 22 in light of verses 20 and 21 is, is on Jesus Himself. And it comes in two ways. First, if you look at the structure of this sentence in the original language, it actually places Jesus last, which in, in, in Greek puts the entire weight of what's happening upon Jesus. 
You see, Jesus is receiving the full weight of the doubly assured oath made by God in verses 20 and 21. You see, the good news is that Jesus can carry everything that comes along with that. God says, this is going to happen in all the way. Everything is pointing to Him. And so as we think about that, that, that weight being placed upon Jesus, I, I want to ask this, and, and in light of this reality, in, in your life, what are you putting your weight on? Like, what are you putting your weight on in life right now, and how is it holding up to the demands that you're placing upon it? Like, how well is your spouse holding up to that weight? How well are your children holding up to that weight? How well are you holding up to the weight that you're putting on yourself? You see, what we do is we take these weighty things like performance and ideals and expectations and excuses and blame and apathy towards getting healthy, whether it's physical, emotional, mental, or spiritual, and we hone it all down to December 30th through 31st, so the January 1, we can jump right on it, right? I'm not against resolutions and having goals, but like we do... But it's it's not just then. Like we do it in everyday life. We're placing these things and putting this weight that, that never should be there. You see, we forget or don't trust that God will do what He's promised and that Jesus said for uh, for all who are weary and heavy laden to come to Him and take up His yoke, which is easy and light, while placing all those things on Him because He can handle them all. And so we see that Jesus is taking the full weight of this doubly assured promise. And then what we see is that the name of Jesus is specifically used here, which I believe the writer is using it for the specific reason uh, uh, to add weight to the hope that we have in Christ's superior nature as, as priest. And that His name literally means God saves. You see, Jesus is the Lamb of God that John the Baptist proclaimed would save His people from their sins. And so this makes Him a guarantor of the better covenant that we see a picture of now, but long to see fully. You see, to be a guarantor uh, is to be an individual who promises to pay the debt that we owe even if we default on our loan. Now, if that's not a picture of the Gospel, I don't know what is. For Jesus is the guarantor that paid the debt of our sin that we could never pay. No matter how hard we tried, we defaulted, but He did not. He took the weight of our sin upon Himself. He died in our place. He proclaimed the work finished and He rose in all authority. And so we see and have hope in Jesus as the guarantor or the guarantee that the promise God made by an oath is something we can have assurance in. This reality leads to the second way that the text presents Jesus to be a superior priest. So let's look now at verses 23 through 25. It says this, The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office, but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. All right, so not only was the oath that God made a double assurance that became reality in the person and work of Jesus, because again, all the weight is there, all the eggs are in that basket, there is no hope outside of Jesus. What we see is that this is a greater assurance than the priest's 
who were created and given authority by God's instruction. See, but even in that instruction, they had limited authority. But not only did they have limited authority, they had to serve themselves as well as others. And they were still human. They still struggled with sin. What we see in these verses is that Jesus is a superior priest because while the former were many in number, they were limited by death. You see, while Jesus, our permanent and great high priest, because He defeated death, He is therefore a priest forever. See, from the time Aaron was given the role, uh, and then for every Levitical priest that followed, while they performed their duties for God and man, they had one flaw. Death came for them all. I read a couple of stats this week on the priests of old. So uh, uh, Josephus, a Jewish historian, said that there were somewhere around 80 or so priests from Aaron to the, the, the uh, d- destruction of the temple in AD 70. But, but there's another book that, that's read uh, in Jewish culture that, that says there's well over 300 that filled the role and died. And so when you take these numbers into account, what we find is a stark contrast between all the former priests and Jesus. For Jesus continues forever. The actual wording there in the Greek for the word permanently in the text carries two connotations. It means both unchangeable and non-transferable. And so what this means is that while all other priests changed and transferred due to the limiting factor of death, Jesus is a high priest who is permanent in both authority and role. You see, the same holds true in the church today. Jesus is the head of the church, for He is prophet, priest, and king. While every elder and pastor to hold his role in the church only does so for a season. Therefore, while Jeremy and I love pastoring each of you, we both know and believe it to be a good thing that we are not the end-all, be-all. For we are limited by humanity, by nature, and by sin. And therefore, we cannot hold the ultimate weight of your lives any more than you or anyone else can. I want you to hear this. I I, want to be there for you. I want to walk with you. I want to encourage you. I want to hold you accountable. I want to pray for you. I want to preach to you. I want to disciple you. I want to equip you. I want to send you. But I cannot hold the ultimate weight of your life, nor can anyone else. Only Jesus can. And again, we believe that to be a good thing, which is why when we talk about our values, why we first cherish the gospel above all, because only Jesus can save you and bring the change you need Which is why we believe in cultivating biblical community because the church is the body of Christ, not a one-man show. This is why we also believe in coaching theological discipleship because we believe in making disciples because we can't do it all and we're not called to. And then lastly, which is why our last value is somewhere, but it's not here. There it is. Is to commission and send every partner because the command is for all to be commissioned, not just pastors. I believe Peter says it well in First Peter. He says we are the church is a royal priesthood that's sent out to point others to the great high priest that is Jesus. 
And so look at the result of this in verse 25. Verse 25 says, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. And so here we see another reason as to why the permanence of Jesus is good news. For consequently, consequently, the text says, because He is our perfect priest, Jesus, and only Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to Him. A few things here. First, Jesus is the only one who can save. He saves and we draw near in light of His grace. Second, Jesus does not save halfway or only when we've cleaned up enough. No, it says that He saves to the uttermost Therefore, no sin is too great and no sinner too far gone. Jesus can bring life to any dead soul and when He commands death to rise, it obeys. Also, that uttermost there means that His salvation is not a partial one, but a complete one. Salvation is by grace from beginning, middle, all the way to the end. It is all a work of grace through the finished work of Christ. And so because He saves, we can trust that He will see us through. Because it is complete, because it is to the uttermost, we can have hope and we can draw near. But in light of that, do not run to cheap grace and believe that you can do and live however you wish to live. Rather, in light of this grace, pursue holiness. And then secondly, in light of this grace, Direct others to this wonderful salvation. Lastly, because of Jesus' permanent place, we can draw near to God because He lives. It says His purpose is to make intercession for us. You see, He is a superior priest because He has full access to God's presence at all times while the former priests were limited in access. And with this access, He makes constant intercession for every one of His followers. I love this quote by Robert Peterson. He said this regarding Jesus' intercession. He said, The living Christ, our great high priest, appears in the presence of God on our behalf and presents His finished sacrifice in intercession for sinners who draw near to God through Him. The result of this is that the Father never rejects us. Even in the midst of our struggle, even in the midst of our brokenness, Jesus intercedes for us. And in His intercession, God sees the blood that covers us, which is His Son's, and the sacrifice is no more. It's not needed. We have been bought and purchased. We are not our own. So I'm going to have the team come back up. As we think about the greatness of Jesus as our high priest and that He is superior and that he, he, God made an oath that Jesus held the full weight of, but also that, that, that Jesus is a permanent priest because He, while He died, defeated death. And I would call you to respond in a few ways today. First, and place the weight of your life upon Jesus today. And if there's an area of your life that you're seeking to find satisfaction and hope and security and rest in apart from Christ, man, turn from that today and give it to Jesus. Maybe today, like you need to place your, the weight of your entire life upon Jesus today. 
Secondly, man, I encourage you to draw near to God. Like in placing that way, we can run to broken cisterns rather than turning to Jesus who is our living water. And then may we be a people that, that simply sit back and learn to rejoice that Jesus saves to the uttermost. I think so often we get such a limited scope of the gospel, but that we would sit and reflect personally on our own lives and what Jesus has saved us from and the grace that he has given us and, and what that means. And that would call us to rejoice because, man, like in light of that, we would then go to the uttermost and proclaim this good news because guess what? You were the uttermost. And yet he has saved you fully and completely. May that bring us hope today. May that draw us to rejoice.